Hello, quarantine. Welcome back to House Music with me, Steve Pretty. This is the show where we set out to demonstrate that you are more musical than you think. That you, yes you, have a much more musical brain than you ever realised. We're going to be demonstrating this with the help of some of the contents of your lockdown house and with some very special guests. Now, last episode, we drank some extremely strong beers in the service of finding notes that go well together, whilst also shamelessly pitching for sponsorship from Beer 52. And I'm delighted to say that they have been in touch. Well, they kind of like to tweet about the show. Uh, But still, next stop, enormous riches. I assume that the money is just taking a while to clear our PayPal account. It's a busy time. It's a very busy time, so it must be that. Later in this show, we're going to be turning your kitchen forks into tuning forks, though this time we managed to resist hustling big cutlery. We're better than that, not selling out to the man just yet. Last episode, we also had Professor Chris Lintot on the show talking about how astronomy can help us to understand the harmonic series, which is the foundation of how we hear musical notes. Thank you so much for all the lovely feedback. It's always great to hear from you. And if you want to get in touch, drop me a line at uh, at Steve Pretty on social media or uh, housemusic at stevepretty.com. That's housemusic at stevepretty.com on email. This week we have someone extremely special for you. It's singer and songwriter Eliza. She's going to be helping us to explore what happens when we start putting notes together and creating melodies. And with that in mind... You may remember this melody from way back in episode one. This is the very catchy tune that my daughter improvised when she was two and which I then got 3,500 people singing along with at the Hammersmith Apollo in December. You might also recognise it as the theme for this podcast. Now, there's nothing special about my daughter. Uh, Don't tell her I said that. She's not some prodigy, despite my best efforts. We all improvise melodies when we're kids, and most of us continue doing it from time to time as adults, perhaps whistling a little tune at inappropriate times. Here, for example, is former UK Prime Minister David Cameron's catchy little ditty, sung less than five seconds after resigning after the Brexit referendum. Thank you very much. Right. But what is it that makes certain notes go together better than others? Why did my daughter sing this as opposed to this? And why did Cameron do this as opposed to this? Most of us spot straight away that something isn't quite right with those alternative versions of those tunes. They sound a bit wonky, at least as Western listeners who have grown up with nursery rhymes, classical music and pop and that stuff. And the fact that they sound weird immediately shows that the second one note is heard, our innately musical brains start to calculate what note should come next. This is how we perceive melody. It's quite amazing when you take a step back and think about what's going on. Because our brains are hearing a pitch, which really physically speaking is just some sound waves hitting our eardrums and then our brains are making almost instantaneous calculations about what pitches might come next. So when we hear a second note, 
we then start calculating the relationship between those two notes and then predicting what the third note is going to be accordingly. Now, obviously, all of this happens on a subconscious level most of the time. That calculation is done based on a lot of factors which we start acquiring well before we're even born. But to me, it shows that listening to music is in some sense an active process. It's one also that's inextricably linked to creating music. Now, as someone who's created a lot of music in her time, my guest this week knows more about what creates memorable melodies than most of us. Eliza is a singer and songwriter, and she makes powerful contemporary R&B and soul. This track from her recent album gives you a flavour. But she's also retained the strong melodies that she deployed with such success in her former incarnation as Eliza Doolittle. She and I go back a very long way, and our conversation always seems to get us into some pretty random tangents. And obviously rock and roll comes from the blues, R&B, jazz... So wait, hold on a second. Question: Did blues give birth to rock and roll, or did they just share a grandma? I would say that blues gave birth to rock and roll. <laughs> so I don't know what the, I don't know whether it's grandma or you know, <laughs> or mother and father. I, there's definitely close relatives, close blood relatives. They're sharing Christmases. They were having Christmas together, definitely. The blues and rock and roll all round to rock and roll's house because that's obviously where the fun is. <laughs> Blue's miserable house at Christmas. (laughs) Now, since this episode is about exploring melody in different ways, uh, including later on exploring the melody lurking inside your cutlery drawer, I wanted to talk to Eliza about just what it is that makes a melody catchy. So you've written loads of amazing melodies. Catchy is is one of those words that can sound a bit derogatory. You know what I mean? I don't mean it at all. But... but I know I like the word catchy. Okay, that's good. I like it when I wake up the next day and the song I've been listening to is in my head. It, for me, it just means the melody's strong. What do you think it is that makes a melody strong? For me, what makes it strong, I think, obviously this is so subjective, but recently I've been realising that most of my favourite music has um, a really good balance of feeling low and high at the same time. And I don't mean in notes, I mean in like mood. If you can listen to the same melody and really indulge in your sadness at the same time as indulging in your happiness. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think for me, that's what music can do more than anything else, right? I mean, you know, obviously I mainly write instrumental stuff and and play instrumental stuff. But and for me, that's the sort of the most sort of distilled version of that thing that music can do because it's completely away from words, but it's still able to make you kind of feel simultaneously nostalgic and happy or tearful but elated and stuff it's it's kind of it's a really unusual and weird thing that music can do and I think for me it's because it goes beyond what words can do definitely definitely the blues uh, being a a good example um, of something where it can kind of simultaneously like be full of sort of longing and really uplifting I think it's because music is is an expression of like the complexity of human emotions, if you know what I mean. Because human emotions is never just as simple as like happy or sad. It's like the lockdown being a perfect example. It's obviously really like awful in so many ways, but also there's lots of positives. And you know, it, your kind of emotions are quite heightened, and so therefore, you, it's quite good to be able to turn to music and and kind of explore those. Yeah, it's the healer right now. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So, yeah, so you're talking about like the highs and the highs and lows, the fact that I mean, I guess what that is for me is tension and release. For me, like a good melody has 
if it's too simple, like a nursery rhyme, it's sort of too. But even a nursery rhyme has got sort of some tension release built into it. But it's it's a bit, you know, simplistic. Whereas the really really good melodies are kind of. Do you say that a nursery rhyme is all tension or all release? <laughs> it's sort of all release. There's no tension, or there's a there's a tiny little bit, right? But because it's such a simple. I'd say it's all tension. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. I mean, I, I got two kids as you know and uh it's still it's all tension there it's all tension it's endlessly singing nursery rhymes frozen that's what's real tension is let it go yeah tension the whole way through 100 percent tension <laughs> so nursery rhymes are quite a good illustration of what makes a good melody i think like a lot of catchy tunes they're based on repetition now in the hierarchy of nursery rhymes and if there isn't one written into law yet there frankly should be in that hierarchy twinkle twinkle probably sits at the bottom. And closely followed at the bottom of the league tables of nursery rhymes is probably Bar Bar Black Sheep. That's basically the same melody with a couple of bells and whistles. But towards the top of that hierarchy of nursery rhymes is something like Pop Goes the Weasel. Now that pop, that pop is where it's at. That turns this from a tune into a tune because it's a little melodic jump, a little taste of unpredictability that inferior nursery rhymes, frankly, just can't compete with. I mean, you could play the end like this. Bit boring. But instead, you have this big jump. Sheer class. And this points to a really important thing when it comes to melody. You want something that's familiar, that that sounds like it has some sort of internal logic to it. But if it's all too predictable, we get bored by it. It's, it's all release and no tension. Because our musical brains are constantly trying to decode melodies as, as little puzzles. And just like we get a little uh, dopamine hit from uh, getting a crossword puzzle right or getting that lockdown sourdough to finally rise properly, at least judging from my middle-class social media feeds, our brain rewards us with a little chemical hit if a melody surprises us in a way that we can understand, that matches our understanding of how music fits together. But if your job is to create melodies day in, day out, how do you possibly know if you're onto a good thing? When you've been writing tunes, do you wake up with stuff you've been working on in your head? Sometimes, yeah. Sometimes I keep singing the same melody. Is that a good sign? I don't know. I can't tell whether it's just I've heard it so many times it's just like stuck in my brain. Or I like it when I hear other people singing it. Like that's when I'm like, okay, I, I like that this is connected with you in some way. I've got something here, yeah. The way I write melodies is just to freestyle and see what comes out, and then I just like record as I'm going along, and then I keep them or or leave them. Yeah. Try not to have too much thought process. Do you go in and think, okay, I need to write a tune that's upbeat, or I want to write a tune that's, you know, expresses something. Do you start with the idea, or do you start with the freestyling a tune? I start with the tune, because I do have ideas, I do have things I want to write about, and sometimes I work work them in, somehow, because I need to, like, get that off my chest, or sometimes yeah. it just really does happen to work with the, with the melody, but I let the music lead the way first and then see, because sometimes my subconscious even like says words and stuff and it sort of makes sense. Um, And most of the time, I don't know what I'm doing at all. 
it just sort of reveals itself as I go along. It, that's funny. That feeling of sort of flow and, and sort of magic is is really interesting, right? When it works, it's just yeah, you don't know where it comes from. Is it quite hard to recreate that as a result? Um, what do you mean? Like, I mean, I mean, like if you know you have it one day, and then it, and it seems really easy. Like, do you? Do you, do you ever find it frustrating if it doesn't come back the next day like that or do you just let it happen? Yeah, it's it's literally like day to day is different. Yesterday I'll have a good day and the day before wasn't and today might not be so good and it's weird that, isn't it? Yeah, so yeah, yeah. Working on the same song, I'll have like a day where I'm like, oh my God, this is practically finished and then the next day I can't even go a step further at all in it. It's just nothing is giving. I think it's just totally mental and to do with what's, what other things going on in your life. And Yeah, I think you're right, yeah. For me, at least, if I'm writing something or whatever, or even just, you know, if I'm improvising as a jazz player, the you're sort of channeling all the stuff you've listened to or, you know, you've sort of absorbed all this music over the years. And for me, at least, when I'm writing it and I'm feeling at my best, it's because they, it just feels like sort of obvious that this melody should go like this and then like this and then like this. But again, if it's too obvious, then it becomes a bit boring. But it's just fine walking that line between it, you know, having enough tension that you're kind of slightly wrong-footing people as they're listening to it but enough release that they kind of stay with you when I'm writing the only thing I'm sort of thinking about is if I'm intrigued by my own melodies oh really okay if it intrigues me and I'm like I like the sound of this I don't think I've heard it before or or maybe it reminds me of something that's like really deeply within me from something I listen to that I don't even know what it is but it's just making me feel a certain thing that reminds me of something I like or want to indulge in then yeah, like yeah. follow that path and keep going with it or see where else it goes but if I feel like I'm bored or like I heard it before or do you know what I mean or if it makes, makes me feel a feeling I don't like or reminds me of something that I'm not that sure about then I'll just leave it and scrap it and try some, something else now here's what I think the difference is between an experienced songwriter like Eliza and say David Cameron and his little tune they're both composing, they're both undertaking the same act in a way. But Eliza has spent years refining the act, absorbing music both consciously and unconsciously and getting to a point where it just feels intuitive. She can just she can just kind of tell if something's working or not. Melody is at its most satisfying when it engages us simultaneously on multiple levels. There's this brain puzzling that we've talked about this little dopamine hit with our minds trying to make sense of the way that one note relates to the next so melody in that way affects us on a cognitive level but just as eliza hinted towards it also plays on our memories and associations it's somehow it's somehow able to tap into our sense of nostalgia our memory and there's this third level there's a kind of more emotive side of melody that we were talking about earlier the fact that certain progressions of notes seem to be able to make us feel something on a kind of a fundamental primal level to speak to the fact that our inner lives are never as simple as just happy or sad. Human emotions are complex and it needs something as abstract as music to be able to allow us to feel and express these inner lives most honestly. So the way that various cultures around the world have combined these three aspects can differ quite widely but one of the most common arrangements, or if you like, families of notes, is to choose just five pitches within the octave. If you need a quick refresher of what an octave is, go back and check out episode four, Music of the Beers, uh, from last time. But essentially, it's these notes, which we perceive as somehow being the same. One is an exact double of the other. 
and cultures all over the world have tended towards picking something like these five notes within that octave. Now these five notes are called a pentatonic scale, penta five tonic tone, five tone scale, and the relationship between these notes is the same as the relationship between the black notes on a piano keyboard. So when I was talking to Eliza, it, it occurred to me that I should ask her to sing a melody based on this little collection of notes. Now, I could have chosen from a very long list since this collection of five notes is pretty all pervasive. Stay away to heaven, maybe, or maybe Cotton Eye Joe. Perhaps a little touch of Chinese opera. But instead of that, I chose Amazing Grace. This is a classic gospel melody which I find incredibly beautiful, even though it's so simple, or maybe because it's so simple. Let me see if I can remember. Yeah, I know the words. Okay. Um, let me go a bit higher up than that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> okay, hold on. So apologies to Eliza, but I wanted to leave this in because I think it illustrates something really important. And that is that the relationship between these five notes in the pentatonic scale stays the same however you move it around the piano keyboard or however you move it with your voice. That's why we can hear things in different keys and still feel that they're the same tune. They may have gone up or down in pitch, but the relationship between those notes stays the same. Yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> amazing grace how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. Is that it? Woo! That was awesome. Oh man, what a tune. Like five notes. I mean, obviously you sung that really beautifully, but just those five notes, it's sort of super moving you can get a lot of emotion an album that's restricted to five notes that'll that'll be a good challenge now we are not quite far enough into the lockdown for me to attempt to write a full album using only five notes although it's not that far off but i am instead going to challenge you to see if you can raid your kitchen cupboards your kitchen cutlery drawer in particular and find some stuff that is in tune with one or more of those five notes that eliza was just singing in amazing grace as is fast becoming tradition we recorded this quite late at night on our dining room table and we were just playing the track through a phone there's gonna be a bonus podcast this week with the track looped up several times for you to practice along to so do skip over to that if you need to so I'm here once again with Joe. Hello. How you doing? Surviving. I mean, I've seen you literally all the time, all, so I know that. All day. <laughs> yeah. Just double checking. <laughs> so yeah, today we are trying to tune forks and basically make them into tuning forks. So we're going to try and tune it with uh, a recording uh, that we did earlier with our very special guest this week and we are going to be trying to basically find notes that go with it so there's only five notes in that melody mm-hmm. amazing grace five notes is called a pentatonic scale all of those five notes sort of work together for the reasons we talked about okay. in the last show maths they all sort of line up nicely and we're going to try and see if we can find basically just going to tap various glasses and forks mm-hmm. and see if we can find 
notes that kind of work within that piece. The fork itself isn't changing. The fork itself isn't changing. So the fork, these forks may be out of tune, in which case we can try different forks. Right. Because forks, if you strike them, so I'm just gonna I'm just gonna tap the tines. Yeah, I know the names of them. They're called tines. It's exactly what you do with the tuning fork. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's, there's a few different tones in there, but there's one sort of predominant. You know, these have been bent over time. I mean, th- these forks are how old? I don't know. They were my grandparents. Old. My grandparents' um, forks. So. Do you think they ever imagined that this might happen? I mean, they could have only dreamt of such a thing. <laughs> During a lockdown, they would be featured on a podcast. I mean, there's so many. Those days in Milwaukee, um, shout out to Milwaukee, my mum will be delighted. So we're just trying to see if any of our forks are in tune with that tune. So let's... let's... Amazing grace. So the first thing is to try and sing the note of the, of the fork. Oh, touch my ear with it. <laughs> don't put cotton buds in your ear, certainly don't stab yourself in the ear with a fork. Oh, why did you go to hospital? Oh, because you stabbed a fork into his ear whilst trying to record a podcast bit. Sure, okay. Oh yeah, this, this is a bit tricky with these. With these, try this one. Let's try this. This is another one. What would you call this? A dessert fork? I call it a cake fork. Cake fork. Although no, it's not a cake fork because it doesn't have a special. It's not fancy. It's just small. So posh. It's a small fork. It's true. It's a small fork. Well, that one's a lot quieter. Less because these tines are shorter. At, at what point can I say what the fork? It's a no swearing podcast, but we are talking about forks. So this tune, if just play it again. Um, we're going to do it on this side. So the notes you guys bum 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 So have we got anything approaching that with these forks? Let's try a range of forks. That's not far. Can you hear that one? Mm-hmm. Sounds pretty much in tune. But... Yeah, if you do it immediately after singing the note, but otherwise I can't hold it in my brain. The I fact mean... that you you did it and then you sang the note, yeah. I could hear it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I can't hold the note in my head, having listened to the music, and then find it. Yeah, understood. I mean, it might be... We'll move to glasses and say that might be that might be easier. But so these are exactly the same forks, right? And this one sounds like this. This one sounds like this. That's the one that's in tune. Mm-hmm. So that's our, that's our tuning fork. <laughs> this one. So what you're going to do is basically when you're when you're finding your tuning forks, you've got to tap the ends of the tines so that they vibrate. So if you tap them too too far down, you just right. get a tap. Mm-hmm. But if you tap them at the end, and you've got particularly if you've got long prong forks. As opposed to this one, right? Oh, that's a tuning one. So really, it's just about kind of getting your ear in. Mm. You don't need to be able to sing the note even. Mm-hmm. Basically, if you play the recording... And keep banging. And keep banging forks, and keep yeah. holding it against your ear. You don't need to be able to sing it necessarily. You can, but you can hear whether it's, it's mm-hmm. in or out. Yeah. And if it's in... Is basically going to be one of those five mm-hmm. five notes, and you may not be able to hear. So it happens; just so happens, genuine coincidence, that these two forks are the main note, what's called the root note of this song. Convenient. So now we try and do the same thing with the glasses. 
So we've got three different wine glasses here. Play that. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. Not really. Don't like it. It's they don't don't like it because basically that's what we're talking about. Don't like it is a perfectly valid musical response, and that that's that's essentially what musicians are doing when they're trying to find tones or trying to like if I'm trying to write down or play back a melody that I'm hearing. It's essentially a long chain of don't like it. Oh no, it's a bit different from that. Don't like it a bit less. Okay, I like it a bit more. Yeah, okay, well, it's, it's mm. close. So you're essentially just narrowing down the options. And so, yeah, the fact that you don't. really work right mm -hmm. so this one's got water in it I wonder if we pour some out It's just because it, but there's nothing inherently wrong with that sound. It's just about the way your brain yeah. perceives that tune because those five relative. notes. Yeah, exactly. So have fun tuning your forks. Uh, try to avoid denting your dining room table as much as I have mine. Uh, and there's going to be a bonus track that's going to go out with this episode, which will have that recording of Eliza's beautiful version of Amazing Grace. There'll be lots of loops of that for you to practice along with. And I've also filled out the tune a bit with some other instruments from my studio, which should make it easier for you to get your ear in. So do let me know how that goes. Uh, I'd really love to hear how you get on with that this week. My social media handle is at Steve Pretty on all the usual places. And my email for this show is housemusic, all one word, housemusic at stevepretty.com. So give us a shout. A huge thank you to my special guest, Eliza, whose album is out now. What's your most recent record called? A Real Romantic. I mean, obviously I know that, but I wanted you to say <laughs> 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 all right cool um, and while we're on the thanks bit i also want to shout out to nicholas burrows who's designed the new artwork for this show um, he is a fantastic artist he also designed my band's most recent album art uh, my band is called hackney colliery band and the album is called collaborations volume one do check out his other work he has a new publication out uh, with hato press uh, his website is nicholasburrows.com. That's Nicholas without an H and Burrows without an E. And he is on social media, Nicholas underscore Burrows. He also has a band called Fell who have a new record out. So do check out all his stuff. Nicholas Burrows is a fantastic artist from just around the corner from me here in Hackney in London. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. Please do hit subscribe and also spread the word. The next episode is out in two weeks time and we have some very, very special guests indeed lined up and some interesting subjects I hope so subscribe and as I say if you can share it really really does mean a lot it really helps us out so thank you very much for that so from me and my producer Miranda stay safe and have fun do, 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 do. right <laughs> <laughs>